Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Are we recording? Yeah. Do you need to do your thing? Hey, it's the October wrap-up. Get ready for some awesome! There it was. What is what is the thing that you have, Jonathan? I was going to do another stand-up bit that I had for you, but I'm definitely st- not going to do it now. Why not? I'm, I feed, I'm his ghostwriter, everyone. I feed this guy material because there's no com- comedy clubs in Abilene and because he's that, not very funny naturally. That's the only reason because there's no comedy clubs in Abilene. That's not true. There's, there's not. Oh, yeah. That, act- that actually is true. But the part about you being my ghostwriter, not true at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, you don't want to give... What's the bit that you think I should do, though? Just give me the premise. No, no, I can't even do that. It, this needs to happen off off mic. Um, but it's really funny. That's not this um, is, that's not good podcast material right there. Have you done Have you done any more stand up lately? I went last um, last Sunday night when uh, Fate was in town preaching. So I thought, you know what, I can go do this again Sunday night, and I did. How'd it go? It was good. You know, the, the weirdest thing about this time is I'm doing the preaching material now. I mean, I, I, I did it in July. I haven't done it since then. So I was doing um, one of the comedy venues that I had done before, and this time I was doing preacher material and that I had done a, a little bit of it before. And the first minute and a half, like, they just didn't believe I was a preacher, which made all my, my jokes not work. So... I need to figure out a way to communicate. No, seriously, I am I'm actually a preacher. So not only do I get that at actual churches where I'm... I was going to say, I, I think the majority of your church also feels that way. You meant that in a really mean way, didn't you? I, I was going to say because I, I, I have a boyish appearance, but you went just a like, really hateful way. So whatever, man. No, any... Anytime you have a month where you hang out with Roar or your dad on the podcast, I feel like I need to come in hot. <laughs> Just who's who do you think is, who's nicer to me, my dad or Roar? Oh, you know what? I think Roar on the podcast. <laughs> I think Roar. <laughs> He's just so coddling of you. You can't say a question that he doesn't. Just oh, you're taking that to a deep place and. I appreciate your insight there. Your dad, at, you know, at least at one time, he wiped your butt, so he knows you're not perfect. Oh, and <laughs> you're so crude. So, do you use stuff like that in uh, sermons? You know, when you're oh, wiping. Come on, no, I'm not even. That's just crude. Yeah, that's so, crude. It, it's a. Are we an incarnational faith or not? Like. Um. I think you can be incarnational, but not like say that stuff in public. I don't know. There's a difference between, <laughs> as one of my friends likes to say, there's a difference between private and secretive. Like, I don't have a secretive bathroom, but I do have a private bathroom that's just for me. Um, I think there's a difference. Like, that's, a, that's just a private kind of thing. But whatever, that's your thing. That's your thing, whatever. <laughs> okay, so you, yes, you are the more polished professional always well spoken that's that's what mm-hmm. i think of when i think of you you really do um you really do? no no not at all of course not 
No. You know, that now that I've was being, now that being I have sarcastic. 200 podcasts No, now that I have 200 podcasts out there, I feel like I'm turning over a new leaf and I'm going to be more sophisticated and mature and responsible. There's only one way to go, really. That's up. So, <laughs> I don't think it's too challenging. <laughs> I mean, the bar's Speaking low, the, hey, so... Hey, hey, okay, let me interrupt. Speaking of the 200 podcast, when I was doing the 200 podcast um, special with my dad, I mentioned a few people that I was very grateful that I've gotten to know throughout the podcast, and afterwards, I've had a little sense that I forgot to say thank you. I know I said thank you to my dad, and I think I even mentioned my buddy Paul, but... Um, I, I know people are going to realize there's one person I left out, and, and I just want to say right now, it's been really good getting to know Richard Beck during the podcast, and I'm very oh, grateful Oh, I saw that him. coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> See what coming? No, I, 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 you telegraphed it, man. You telegraphed it. There's no, there's no sweet, warm, sentimental <laughs> Luke on... Although, I will tell you about that wrap-up. There, how many times have you said, dude, save it for the podcast, save it for the podcast? You're impossible to have a good conversation <laughs> with now without like a microphone in front of you. It, you know what? I'm, it's speaking of incarnation. It's, it's very, it's really cruciform. Like I'm breaking myself open and sharing it for the people. And that's what I do with my, <laughs> my conversations with my friends now. I just sacrifice it for the you sake do. of the good of, for the people. We all feel the internet. really used. Hey, in the 200th <laughs> episode thing, you talked about y'all Westover's doing uh, Prayers of the People now? Yeah, yeah. Or we did it one time. I did. How, how'd it go? It was, it was really good. We, um, it was during like a lament service, and so I was talking about like ways that people are experiencing suffering. And so we had just invited people to fill out a card. Uh, just describing what kind of suffering they're going through. And then we had literally hundreds, hundreds of cards come in. And, uh, I mean, I was not expecting that sort of response. And based on that, I, we definitely plan on doing it again. Actually, we're going to do it again uh, in a couple of weeks, but we're going to do the flip side of it. Like, so we did a, like a lament kind of prayers of the people. And then the next one, we're going to do a service about gratitude. And actually, Richard Beck is going to be in town that weekend, and so he's going to team preach with me. But we're going to try, cool. try to go, okay, the first one was lament, the second one will be gratitude. And, yeah, so people loved it. Dude, every week, a week on Monday, we, we all on staff and the elders get the prayers of the people, and it's always a mixture of both of those things. Mm-hmm. So as tends to be 150 to 200 different prayers that are written out, and it's one of the best things we've done. And I got that from your podcast, so... As much as I've given and bled for this podcast, there is one thing that you gave me back in the three years of doing it. So you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome, Nadia and- Bolts Weber. <laughs> hey, and that's great that you get 150 to 200. Uh, I mean, we had 288, but um, that's really good that you get uh, that turnout. That's a, that's great. <laughs> thank you, yeah, Thank you. This is not a. How is prayer contest? How can you make prayer a contest? That's just that's a unique gift you have to. to I was just exp- I was just expressing gratitude that like both, both of us have things 
<laughs> to be grateful for. But I was just saying I w- that many prayers were all prayed over by each of our elders individually. And uh, I mean, I'm just saying it just took us a little bit longer because we had more. But we just like your church, we care about praying over these cards. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like there are some de- details that you're mentioning that are really not relevant to the conversation. Hey, on the 200th episode, you talked about how, you know, all the interesting interviews you've done, and you mentioned how the pot through the podcast was the first time you, as an adult, been offered weed. And then you dropped the story. Like, didn't say (laughs) what happened from there. And for those of us who know your character, we're interested. I I quickly turned that down. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> referring to, after the Pete Holmes interview, they said, uh, here's some weed if you want. And I said, no, I'm going to pass. Thank you, though. I appreciate your hospitality. <laughs> and I said, no. Just, yeah. I think everyone else knew that. Well, listen to the podcast. I was wondering if you did or not. The <laughs> There was a point where you just got real chill hey, with hey, Pete Holmes. <laughs> hey, here's... Here's the thing, you're, you're the one blogging about Stranger Things, which many people think you have to be on psychedelics to truly experience. So, you, Okay, you know, you've seen that, right? The, the, the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, it's amazing. Right? Okay, I thought you were you're slamming, it's a, saying you had to no, no, be hot and enjoy a, it. No, I think well, it was a joke, but I think the overwhelming response is this is amazing. They picked up a second season of it, so yeah. you're, uh, you've got two blogs out on that. You have how many you're going to do in those? Five or six? Uh, yeah, I think I got six. No, six slated. Um, mm-hmm. Just on the different. So here's the here's the genius of, of Stranger Things, in my opinion. Um, one, the nostalgia is spot on, right? And all the, the, so I've read a lot of reviews and, and one of the things that they say is it's not just nostalgia, it's nostalgia for an, for that era when our fantasy was celebratory, not escapist. So like today, Mm. think about how dark all our fantasy is post 9-11, right? I mean, it's like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and there's... There's nothing like Stranger Things that's remotely like, this is a good life. We're glad to be living it. Yeah. Um, and so it, yeah. it's a different kind of fantasy in some ways. And then the other is that it bridges the gap, I think, between magic and science. And um, like a, an enchanted world that we all, I think I, I, think I want to live in. Um, but but as soon as it becomes a fairy tale, um, you you have to kind of remove yourself from it and say that's not the reality that I'm living in. And Stranger yeah. Things tries to tell a fairy tale that actually connects to science. So like they had punched a hole in this alternate universe. These scientists, you know, looking for weapons in the Cold War or whatever. And I mean, it's just there's a lot of layers to it that I, I found really interesting and kind of overlaps with stuff yeah. we've talked about before yeah no it's great and uh so you'll have i guess one out for the next month and uh, so the next wrap up you'll have done all six of them and i actually yeah. had someone message me or contact me and say hey you need to do a podcast 
just about Stranger Things. Well, we'll just send them over to your blog, and you'll tell them all. And maybe by the end of next month, we'll, we'll have more to talk about Stranger Things so you don't spoil all your blogs for everyone. Deal? Okay. Deal. Deal. Okay. Uh, and we should link that out so people can go check it out if they don't. You really should. Or whatever. It's really powerful. You should totally do that. You know what? This is why you don't have nice things, because I try to give you something nice. Dude, I went to the Cowboys game last night. No, you didn't. Did I you did. really? And you know, my, my brother's an Eagles fan, because we were born in Philadelphia, and he's like the like annoying Eagles fan, too. And it was so great. Not just to see the Cowboys win, but for the Eagles to lose, and my brother by my <laughs> side, it was, it was, it was so good. Because it's like, here's the thing, like a, every good story, not only do you have like the hero who wins, there has to be a villain that loses. And so getting the <laughs> Eagles to lose makes it so much better than it was like the Browns lost. Like no one cares. But if the yeah. e- anyway, it was speaking of an Dude, enchanted world, that, that was. It, I can't believe you got to go to that game. I work for a church that works a lot with the poor and it comprised of the poor. So we don't really have money for a salary for me to. Do things like that. But mm. hey, that's great that you do. Mm. As you count all those prayer cards alongside your, you know, $100 bills. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. Okay, uh, speaking of people from your church, Randy Harris, along with uh, Stephen Moore. Who Does Stephen Moore go to your church? No, he doesn't. Although yes. I love Stephen. I wish he did. Mm. He's a great guy. Yeah, I would... I wish that love was reciprocal, then maybe he would be a part of the church. But um, I love Stephen, and he came on the podcast, and uh, we had a nice talk about between me. Wait, between the world and me? Or is it between me and the world? I, I always get Between the world and me. Between the world and me. Uh, which is just like a fascinating book that I, I really highly recommend. And I, I feel like we've tried to be intentional about having a lot of conversations about race on the podcast. Yeah. And I, I don't think you can be a Christian in 2016 in America and not realize that race is at the very forefront of what we, we all need to be thinking about because it's such a, a major issue. And unfortunately for so many, it's a issue that seems to be uh, disconnected from like the gospel. Like, oh, we're, let, let's care about race, but really, you know, yeah. we're all focused on getting to heaven. And so race tends to become like the secondary thing that's not central to what the church and Christianity is all about. That's right. I, I think um, what, what I've discovered to be real helpful for me is the new perspective on Paul. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the preachers and teachers out there, the the big... The big shift that I think helps is a great resource for Christians in our age is that 50 years ago or even maybe long. No, it was about then E.P. Sanders and some others. N.T. Wright is also one of them um, said that justification by faith um, through grace is not the main center of Paul. That's what Luther said it was. But the real center of all of Paul's works was actually what we're dealing with right now, trying to get two different races or many different races, Jews and all the Gentiles together in one church because Jesus is Lord, Um, which means the majority of the New Testament is written actually to churches trying to address exactly the kind of things that we're addressing right now. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, 
That's good. So I had dinner uh, with uh, with my buddy Sean, and then you know Fate Haygood from uh, from LA. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Fate was in town, mm-hmm. and so I had dinner with him and uh, another buddy, Sean, who's been on the podcast. Sean Adams has been on the podcast a couple times, and they they made this comment about wanting to move, you know, their kids' generation like forward. Like, you know, they got to a certain place, and they want to take it to the next place for their kids, and. I've never thought like that. I literally have never thought, hey, I need to, you know, create a better world for my kids than the ones that my parents gave to me. And I've always thought, well, let's just kind of run it back. My kids, I hope they have the same good experience that I... Wait, you've never... Yeah. You've honestly never had that thought. I've I've never... I mean, they're... they're So that's, that's... no, I'm just saying, I, I think there's certain... That's weird. I mean, I, I, I've had that thought. Okay, but like I've never thought... Just the... Like, what does it look like for you that you want to move move forward? Um, well, I, I don't want my kids... So, I, I've said it before on here, but I the church that I went to of 10 people had to take out a loan for me to go to college. Um, otherwise, I would be a construction worker right now. And... I would love for my kids to know that college was an option in a way that I I really? never assumed what? that. I always thought I was going to be a construction worker. Can I interrupt worker. that? So they Hold on. My baby monitor is going off in this room. Let me go turn that off. Hold on one second. And I'm used to oh, whining on this it. show. Stop. Okay, so y- you never thought about college and then does the church say, "Hey Jonathan, what would you think about us doing this?" If you want to go to college, let us try to put some things together. How, do, like, how does that conversation even happen? No, uh, the, the person who preached often, Brother Foy, took me to Harding, drove me up there one day with my mom and just started asking questions to the mission. I mean, he set up an appointment and everything and uh, then went back and took out a loan. So, wow. Wow. Okay, so that's how it happened. Which is... A beautiful example of, you know, how the church is, you know, sometimes people want to criticize what the church isn't, but that's a great example of what the church is and what it it should be. That's a beautiful story. But as you're thinking about wanting to go forward for your kids where college is an option for them, uh, you know, for me, you know, my dad's a college professor, you know, Christian college professor, so... Hmm. um, you know, there, it, it's not like we were rich, but we always lived in a way that, you know, college was an option. And our, But that's just a difference, I think, of I'm not upper class person. I was never, you know, born into wealth, but I was born into a situation where, you know, college was always on the table for me. And I, I want my kids to have that where uh, I, I think it's almost the way that privilege is just something that's assumed. And you you yeah. don't think about you I don't think about that it. is a I wonder if that's a question that is like a litmus of of privilege or particularly where your privilege lies you know what i mean because if you don't like i don't i don't worry about my kids getting pulled over by the police for example yeah, yeah. um or but i do you know there, there are certain things that were missing from growing up and and i want to Give so like my kids, I take with me every time I go speak somewhere because growing up, I my parents never went on vacation. We never left the state together, mm. and it was just because we didn't have the resources to do that. And that was the state of Arkansas too. So I mean, just stuff like that, like the state. That, 
Yeah. That's right. A wonderful, wonderful state. I mean, it's a state. Um, but, yeah. <clears throat> and that... <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Um, How dare you talk no, bad like, about it? No, it, it is a state, though. But, um, so one of the things that's about Coates' work, which maybe this is the reason that Randy Harris likes it so much, since he's, like, just this uh, blooming flower of optimism, is that Coates has, like, this very pessimistic view of the future. <laughs> like, for him, it's... Uh, he even takes that uh, Dr. King line, or that, that quote that's attributed to Dr. King, which I don't think really is, uh, the more lock of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. And he says, I don't have you know, God in my equation, and so the more lock of my universe is not bending towards justice at all. Uh, I, and while I was listening to his description of his experience, it was heartbreaking because it seemed like, man, things are so bad and there's no hope, according to this guy. Uh, or it doesn't seem like there's a great deal of hope because, as he said, it, it all depends on uh, white people waking up from their slumber, which that might be a bit of an overstatement. But th- there's no optimism in it. And I think there's a tension of, okay, y- you, your experience, there's no optimism. My theology says there is reason to have a hopeful future, and Randy would pick apart the difference in optimism and hope. But... I don't know how to validate and listen and learn from him while still holding the, the idea that, you know, Christianity says there is hope and there is redemption at the end. And, and I, I just don't have an answer for that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Coates would be very much like uh, not representative of the black community in America in that regard. The most vibrant, not, I mean, there's plenty of, of secular African-American thinkers yeah. And, and writers and and whatnot, but the most vibrant communities of faith in America tend to be people of color um, that are hanging on the hope, like a, the, the future Christian hope and kind of the stuff that Dr. King was talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, um, you want to talk about Woodward, my man from uh, Newsweek who finally got newsworthy? <laughs> man, he arrived. That guy, I bet he was just waiting by the phone, I, I feeling th- so left out. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a lot of pressure on him. He's like, you know what? This is podcast. I don't know what it's like. Um, th- okay, so the guy was probably... Sure, I've met Billy Graham and Popes, but this guy... Yeah. Sure, I call uh, you know the Popes by their you know original birth name, and I call Billy Graham Billy, but uh, you know what? I've never been on this guy's podcast, so that's a big deal. This guy's probably yeah. mid to late seventies is probably my guess. I don't know. It was a phone call. Didn't even see him in person, or didn't even see it through uh, FaceTime. I, and so when we were doing the podcast, I could tell the conversation wasn't going the typical way of a normal like podcast interview. It was more kind of he was just you know sharing a lot of his stories. wasn't as much back and forth as usual. And yeah. one of my concerns was that. I feel like the book was way better than maybe the podcast was. And I really hope people would go check out the book because it really was a very good book that I was, I, I think people really would enjoy if they read it. Yeah. Well, that's generally true about the books being better. Um, there, why did you say I, that? <laughs> I liked uh, one thing that really stood out to me about what he, what he said. I haven't read the book. Um, but one of the things he said 
what that I really appreciated and resonated with me. I wonder if it resonated with you. Is when he said, "Why is everybody so religious in this country? Because it doesn't cost you anything." Yeah. Um, yeah. I love I I love that analysis. In my experience, it's it's largely true. You know it. it and 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 one of the reasons why I think what comes next in post-Christian America, post every everyone, it's assumed everyone goes to church. What comes next, I think, will be better for the way of Jesus in in America. Okay, so explain to me what is so detrimental about Christianity not costing you anything. Why does that hurt Christianity, the church? Well, it's not Christianity, for one thing. I mean, this is the way of the cross and and sacrifice and, and a hope fueled way of laying your life down. Um, I think of I think of Francis Buford and the unapologetic the preface to U.S. readers, where he talks about how in in Britain, you remember that mm-hmm. he, he just he was says, explaining his expletives as that, well, yeah. Yeah, but he said, like, in America, the number of p- people who lie about going to church would be the most shocking thing because in Britain you're more likely to lie that you didn't go to church when you did because it's yeah. it's embarrassing. And yeah. I, I appreciate that. I think, I think that's coming, and um, I'm not... I, I, th- I actually welcome that in some ways. I'm, I'm going to, you know, miss... Miss certain things like people giving you buying your meal at a restaurant, but I think <laughs> you know what I mean. Or, yeah. or, or for you know, example, I, you getting Dallas no. Cowboy tickets, but no, no stop. Um, so the the next podcast is uh, Tom Wright's back on, and in his newest book, he has a little section like describing. Uh, what an actual crucifixion would be like. Hmm. And I don't know why I tend to, like, that's not my go-to method when I'm preaching. I know, you know, Jonathan, you like to do the thing about, like, hey, imagine you're on a boat with a little puppy dog, and <laughs> you chop him up in little pieces and throw him overboard. God, like, that's grim. what you do to God every time you sin. So, can I tell yeah, you like something? That's, I actually preached a sermon like that one time. It wasn't, it didn't chop the puppy dog up. But it was about a dog dying and then the guilt, you know, the, have you, and my preaching teacher just flippantly one day said, like a month after I preached this at some rural country church in Arkansas, said, oh man, can you believe, he just flippantly said, never preach that kind of sermon, that'd be awful. I was like, somebody's preached that before. (laughs) And you had just done that? No, I'd just done it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe him. Um, Okay, well, that typically isn't my, my mojo. Unlike you when you're preaching a little... Well, I don't want to say what I preached when I was, you know, a little country church preacher boy. Those are terrifying sermons. But, so I don't typically do a lot of, hey, let me talk to you about what the blood of Jesus actually felt like. Oh, really? Much of the cross at all. I don't... Go ahead. No, I talk about the cross, but in talking about it so much without typically going in a, uh, a style of preaching that elicits a lot of emotions and yeah, kind of turns into a guilt thing it's easy to water down what the cross is and listening to a description of like the background of it i don't know why i i think maybe just listening to tom wright describe or, or reading tom wright do that was um was very compelling and uh, maybe old tom and i will talk about it and you'll hear it on the podcast later but yeah i think 
what we're talking about, you know, Christianity not costing you anything. It, you don't have to read, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship to realize it is a big problem. But I right. think that's, um, yeah, it's a big problem. One of the, speaking of the, the Billy Graham stuff with Woodward, what I liked most about Woodward's talking about Graham was the evolution of Billy Graham. And yeah. not just, hey, this guy did a lot of great things, and he's in front of a lot of people, and you know, he's in the White House. You know, all that stuff is nice. But what was really compelling to him as a person was that he started one place, he grew from his experiences, he learned from other people, and he could have very easily just stayed entrenched in his ways. Instead, like he does the hard thing, because it's difficult when you're that prominent of a person to make changes that, in a lot of ways, critique your earlier work, which yeah. no one wants to do. That's true. I, I, I've always been impressed by Billy Graham doing that. I mean, he always had, he could have just coasted. And yeah. he's, he's been very, that's true. I, I wish future Luke could come back and critique current Luke. There would be so much stuff that he would say. You know, Jonathan, when you point a finger, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> that's, that's true. How does that? Unless you, how does that feel? Unless right you now? point like that. <laughs> oh, slam! Same. I guess. Okay, you got you burnt me. me there. Uh, mm-hmm. This speaking of your preaching, uh, Rabbi Abraham Heschel had the line that Woodward referenced um, when he was at the Vatican II Council or the conference following the Vatican II, and he said this line: "Your people are asking for bread, and you're giving them stones," which was his way of saying, you know, your theology is too abstract. Um, too dispassionate. It doesn't bring people closer to God. And I thought, wow, that's a really compelling critique of like what theology can be. Is there anything you'd like to say to your seminary professors now? <laughs> no, I, I think that's right. I think uh, I, I love that analogy. The because the, what's so I've heard it described like preachers have to get two words: a word from the Lord, you know, like oh, this is so cool, this insight into the Bible, and then also a word for their people, you know? Yeah. And I, I think often we stop at the first one without kind of imaginatively thinking through what difference does this make to the people? What's the so what to yep. the people who are, who are living? And I think that's a, a really good critique of a lot of, um, a lot of our preaching. It doesn't make a difference. It, it's, yep. it's like abstract. Yeah. No, I, I think... That it's easy, like this podcast, like, you know, we just do discussions about, you know, more technical theological ideas for the most part. And I think the reason that I like doing this is it makes me feel like I don't have to do it in my sermons. Like, I really enjoy this, but the sermons are not a place for these kind of conversations for the most part. Like, I think there's a, a time and a place for part of that in a sermon. But if the entire sure. sermon sounds just like like this kind of podcast between two preachers, um, you're... That, that's not a good sermon. Oh, like, it'd be a train a wreck, man. Sermon. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. Okay, speaking of things that weren't a train wreck, Brian McLaren was back on the podcast. <laughs> 200 podcasts later, and this is still your segues. <laughs> they're just... <laughs> Don't hate on the segues, uh, man. They're good. They're solid. <laughs> they're something. Speaking of solid, the earth is solid, and Brian McLaren talked about the earth a lot. <laughs> He sure did. So I didn't read that book, but it was it was basically on on creation care. I uh, I think that would be a a bit of an overstatement, but 
That was definitely the centerpiece of it. And, you know, if he's going to talk about, you know, loving your neighbor, remember the example he gave in the podcast where he said, okay, if you want to love your neighbor, think about the stuff you put, put in, the oil, or in the earth. And if, you know, you put harmful herbicides or pesticides in the ground, then your, your friends downstream are going to be drinking that and you're going to be hurting them and their family. Um, it definitely seemed like that was, uh, it, I mean, it was a major theme. And his stuff about evangelism, like uh, evangelism used to be one thing for him, and now it's inviting people of all ethnicities and races and, and tribes uh, to rally together to take care of the earth. So, yeah, that, I mean, I don't know if I want to say it's all of it, but it would definitely be a big majority of it. So, um, you know, I, uh, let me first, okay, I want to talk about that. Let me first say, though, that I think Mc, I think McLaren is, tends to be really good at his critique of, of spotting weak points in Western Christianity. And I think he might actually be more widely appreciating it in a couple of decades. Um, just because he's, I think mm. he's pretty insightful. Oh, so you think he's going to be the kind of guy that it takes a while for everyone to catch up to what he's saying and, and really value it? Well, I haven't read this book, but some of his previous work, I, I've, I've thought that. But the, the problem hmm. I have with what you just said is, do you know who the most um, earth-centric, creation care, green, you know, environmental-friendly... Do you know the, that there was a whole movement that was like the most environmentally-friendly movement in the history of people? Um, and it was the I, I Nazi got... Party. Really? Like, yes. Like, they were, they were incredible at taking care of the environment. Hitler and, and the Nazi Party had huge... Here, hold on, let me... I've, I've literally looked this up. Looked that up. While you're looking that up, I'm just going to say, uh, I've never heard that. Uh, it's news to me. Uh, second of all, uh, any compliments about the Nazi Party were specifically from Jonathan Stormont. Uh, I do not co-sign them. <laughs> Um, so here you go again, uh, supporting the Nazis, Jonathan Stormont at stormented.com. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so yeah, this is from AJ Swoboda, a friend of the show. Your, your um, best friend. Now. Uh, <laughs> Fellow uh, Calvinist. Years ago called landscape and memory. He's, I am not a Calvinist and I, I don't think he is either. Uh, Shimon Shema talks at length about what appears to be the most environmentally friendly organization in history. They, re- they started recycling programs, taught children about the outdoors, initiated cons- conservation movements, and they were the Nazis. Shama so, writes, it is, of course, painful to acknowledge how ecologically conscientious the most barbaric regime in modern, hi- modern history actually was, because exterminating millions of life was not at all incompatible with passionate protection of millions of trees. So, so, so what you're saying is that, that. Mc, so you're saying that McLaren, because he takes great concern for taking care of the earth, you know, Genesis one kind of uh, command, um, is which anti-Semitic. is important and good. So you're saying he's anti-Semitic because he he cares about the earth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. That's because Genesis I, one is anti-Semitic. I'm just trying to figure out where you're going with this. So I'm trying to say like. If that's the center of everything, it's too small because you can buy into that whole message and be a Nazi. Do you know what I mean? Like hmm. it. Uh, well, uh, that's that's an overstatement, and I'm not suggesting in any way 
I think I haven't read the book. I really like Brian McLaren, but um, yeah, okay. So your your point that really that's part is part of a larger that you can care about the earth and have really no care for your fellow man or woman because right. clearly the Nazis cared cared about the earth, but they didn't really care about all of humanity. Um, I get right. that, and so the the temptation is okay if earth care is your gospel then your gospel's gotten pretty small and sure. there's more but surely it's not for mclaren sure yeah surely not yeah you, um i could see it being a important implication it's but. not the, the totality of it i i think i asked him this in the podcast he referenced nt right in the book as uh uh admiring his work. helpful yeah and i talked yeah. about well how do you um how do you balance like nt wright's eschatology his you know new heavens and new earth uh, with your uh, with your view of earth care, and he said, "Well, I just first of all, I don't I, I don't have the same eschatology that Tom Wright does." And I thought, "Okay, that's interesting." But he would say, even if you did have that, it wouldn't dismiss the importance of what he was saying. Yeah, so, right. Of course not. I mean, that the reason I think it's important is because of Surprised by Hope and N.T. Wright. I mean that that was the book um, that ten years ago got me. And you know it's interesting because this this should be something that everybody progressives and conservatives are on board with. I mean so many of the conservative people I know, well they tend to be rural poor so they they hunt and fish and spend a lot of time outdoors, but um it seems like that we should be able to this this has gotten Yeah, why yeah, why is it why is it so partisan that if you're a liberal that you care about the earth, but conservatives, is it the, I really don't know, I'm just questioning out loud, is it, is it the dismissal Me too. of the science behind it that they don't like believe that really matters, uh, therefore that way of taking care of the earth isn't viable to them? Uh, is it that you know, global warming isn't taking place, so the, the application of that, in, that information isn't applicable? I, I don't know. Um, uh, anyway, my favorite line from McLaren was the gospel is very political, but it's not partisan. And yeah, yeah, that's good. I think, I think too, we've reduced the gospel to being partisan, and we don't even make it political anymore. Like in the in the bigger sense of what it means. Like th- this has implications on what we do with our money, how we care for the poor, how we deal with the neighbors, how we deal with the um, you know the widows, the orphans, the Everyone, uh, but unfortunately, it right. becomes: Do you vote left or right? And I, that's that's way too small. That's true. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me tell you about something that wasn't small. Um, <laughs> the E three conference. Um, great turnout for it. Very good turn. That was a good transition. And I don't know if you're going to. That was not a good. You just you take an adjective and then you say, let me tell you about something that wasn't that said adjective. <laughs> it's the and reason. That's that, your segue. It's so formulaic. The, you know, that's why I think if you're a good Christian, you're going to play Good Good Father on Father's Day. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the perfect song for that. <laughs> oh. Speaking of bad segues, okay, go ahead. <laughs> What? No, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Now, just oh, I wanted to say one uh, more thing about about Brian McLaren. Okay, the, you know this is this is something I bring up often, but his stuff on progress. When and you oh, asked yeah. the question about 
you know, what, well, there used to be slavery and, and now there's not slavery anymore. But so what would you say to people that point out that there is still slavery? I appreciated you asking that question. But his response, you know, I, I've read, he, he mentioned a book, read the book, This Half Has Never Been Told. I've read that book and I still disagreed with his notion of progress. Um, because I think, it, and this is so tricky, we assume moral progress because of technological progress. I mean, the New York Times just a few months ago had an article about how suicide is up in every major demographic. And hmm. and I, I think there's part of that is moral progress is a bad thing to just assume. Um, it depends on what kind of people we are. And, you know, I think God is going to do something in the future. I think the universe is headed towards that future. But... And, and this is where I agree with McLaren. He did nuance it. He said, you know, it's two steps forward and three steps back, but which explains this election. You know, I mean, I think it is hard to, to yeah. explain progress in the midst of, you know, like, yeah. why are so many people thinking the way they're thinking in this presidential election? Yeah. No, anyway. I mean, that's... That's fair. And, and I think probably the reason I asked that question is because I've talked to you so much about this. And when I listen to A.J. Swoboda, your best friend and fellow Calvinist, say, no, there's no progress, I go, yes, there is. And then when I hear other people say, there is progress, I just go, eh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I wonder if you have to have a firm commi- commitment and a conviction on that issue. Uh, I, I wonder how much it really matters, because I feel like it probably does. Like, it, it changes how you read read things if you're going to have this idea that we're getting better because you have more trust in what we're doing right now and if you think we aren't then um i don't know i I guess maybe that's probably the political difference if if you're conserving the past or you're wanting to you know be liberal and progress forward Uh, yeah right there so my my thing would be the the ingratitude towards the past like i i I think that's the part that gets me the most, like this assumption of evolution that we've evolved and we just keep getting better. And that means that those people before us were idiots and, you know, that's the the part that I think. That makes sense. I get that. Um, I get that. You, You want to be grateful that we've gotten, we've learned from them, but also... You know, we're less violent than them. Obviously, suicides, according to what, I don't know the information, but, you know, we're less violent age than we used to be. You know, there's less... Anyway, yeah. Whatever. We can go in this debate. We've done it a million times, and uh, I don't think we have the answer to it. And I think I win just about every time. No. no. But go on. Go on to your cheesy segue. Speaking of Jonathan winning... I... Does that, does that I would work now like segue? to talk about the last podcast from the month. It was a live podcast in <laughs> Dallas at the E3 conference where Richard Beck and I were invited to speak. Um, Jonathan, I didn't see you on the list. Uh, was that it was fun? We- it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was weird doing a live podcast. And I did the one with uh, Trip and Homebrewed, and that was really like Trip's party that he was running. But um, this one... It was weird, and we literally had two microphones on. Like, we had the normal microphones that we use for podcasts, and then we also wore, like, the Countryman, like, Britney Spears mics for the actual, their audio. Yeah. And it seemed to be a fitting metaphor, because there was a point where I felt, 
I'm, I'm talking to the podcast audience, which is one group of people. And I know a lot of people, I know that there were people who were at the conference who have listened <laughs> to the podcast and listened to it. And thank you for that. But I think that it was, in some ways, I feel like there are two different demographics. And as you know, when you're trying to talk to two different groups sure. of people at the same time, it can be a bit cumbersome. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. And almost, yeah, almost impossible yeah. to yeah. do Especially well. Especially when you don't know your audience. So, so I, I actually thought it was a great Good. podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, Richard Beck, it's, it's hard to screw up when you got him on the mic, too. So his stuff about uh, hate, um, you know, why liberals and conservatives can't ever see eye to eye. You've heard that stuff from the, the righteous mind before, haven't you? Yes, and I think it's so helpful. I I, uh, I forget about it because it, I think it's really helpful to frame this conversation if you're trying to make people be able to talk together and and understand each other. Because uh, that that's true in almost every circle I run in. Harm, harm, and care and fairness are the most important things, and the other three things: group loyalty and purity and or sanctity, or respect for authority, are not that important at all. Yeah. Is that true in yeah, your life? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think you see, I mean, you see the way people frame conversations, and it's two different things. It's like you're completely talking past each other. And my takeaway after that was, and I think I asked Beck the question, like, well, what do you do about it? I mean, you're talking two different languages. And unless you can find some common ground then you're always just going to have these two competing ideologies, which plays themselves out in in religious circles and political circles. You know, it, it just goes across the board. And I, I don't have a solution, so I'm a bit, uh, to use as we're dumbfounded as to okay, well, what's the next step if if you can't you know bridge these gaps? I don't know if it's just listening to people. It seems like that's a recurring theme. Yeah, I, I so. I, one of the tragedies of of not being able to bridge the gap is that for all our talk of inclusive being inclusive and wanting to everybody to have a seat at the table are some of our most are some very vulnerable people which are elderly um, don't you know there's that generation gap and it's been such a sharp divide that they're cut yeah. off. And, and then another question I have is I wonder how the next generation is going to react. Because if you, like, like if you don't believe in moral progress, mm. then those things don't go away. They just come back with a vengeance. So, you know, group loyal, I, you know, I would imagine in 20, 25, 30 years, uh, purity and sanctity and respect for authority and group loyalty, those are all going to be things that come back in some form or another. And, um, I just wonder what that's going to look like. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's interesting because, you know, part of the talking to two audiences when you when you have a group and it's you know sixty plus year olds, and then you have a group of thirty and thirty five and unders, uh, they have their minds made up on the issue about the LGBTQ community, and it's the different conclusion. If you ask people typically who are you know thirty or thirty five and under about you know what do you think about gay marriage. Oh yeah, we're moving on. That's fine. Yeah. I, I think the majority, and I'm not saying everyone, but the majority. But if you talk to 60, 65 year olds and go, "What's your take on it?" I think the majority of them go, "Yeah, we don't, we're, we don't support that." Yeah. And what's it going to be after that? Man, I don't. I have no idea. 
Uh, I, re- I really don't. But w- what do you do when you have one, one group of people who say, we've already figured this issue out, let's move on, and the other says, wait a minute, we've been doing this for decades, and we're fine with this. I don't, I don't want to change. Yeah. Dec- I, I think decades, what, more, more like millennial, right? Millenniums. Um, so well, I, w- I don't think there's anyone who's a thousand years old, but I was referring to people. <laughs> oh, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so I, I like what I think Caleb is a great. What are you laughing at? At your wit? Are you laughing at your wit? <laughs> You're just a. You're laughing. Someone at your wit. joked to me. He said, "You know, Jonathan sounds like." No, someone someone was told me. He's like, you know, I listen to Jonathan. He sounds like a 1950s Church of Christ preacher, <laughs> and <laughs> that right there was a 50s preacher. Oh gosh, uh, we've always done this for thousands of years. Oh, okay, that's Jonathan, true. That's on. true. I can also tell you who's going to burn in hell, and I think I'm looking at <laughs> candidate number one right now. So you're oh, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Coming first, first so, place, first in your hearts, first in your. Podcast feed. Oh gosh, I can't believe somebody thought I was a 1950s preacher. That is, that is like the worst error to be a preacher in. They, they might have thought that you were a five foot three preacher, and maybe they just uh, misunderstood. Like they got their numbers wrong. Okay, so Carrie, what were you saying? Yeah, Caleb. You I like, like Caleb, Caleb as, a guest? as a guest because I think he is uh, a, a great bridge between those two different groups. Um, he. He grew up yeah. um, the other the other side. I mean, a lot of the story I hear pretty consistently right now is somebody growing up in our in a church youth group, and then they realize that they come to a, a different understanding about human sexuality, and they realize that the church is intolerant, and they and he comes at it from the other side. He saw cracks yep. in his group, um, and so you know he came out to, as a Christian to his gay parents, and they kicked him. I mean, that, that's just an Interesting twist on a familiar story, um, and I loved I, yeah. I loved what Beck said about because I, I think the way that Caleb's going about it is is helpful, but Beck put his finger right on the pressure point of of how you're going to he 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 says what do you do with the people who don't have what he called an affectional umbilical cord? I love that term. That don't. Yeah. Yeah, this is what David Kinnaman, um, what he and Gabe Lyons said is the difference between generations. Like we, me and you, and people younger than us, we all have gay friends, and yeah. So we, we have that affectional umbilical cord, and whereas you know it was more closeted maybe for our parents and grandparents and. Yeah, so, and, and if you don't have a connection to someone, it's very easy to have the scarecrow argument about that, you know, quote unquote, group of people, because you you don't know them, you don't know the humanity, and you don't see the commonality that you have with them. So yeah, I, I think it's that connection. And what what I loved about Caleb was his comfortability in tension, and I I feel like that's essential for complicated issues in which. Uh, lives and families and, and churches are all like torn up over is if, if you want things to be black and white, you're not going to be able to do theology. You can go do math, you can do something else, but be an accountant, but you don't get to be a theologian either like, you know, a, like a paid one or just a, a Christian who is entitled or who's entrusted with the task of understanding what God wants you to do. Uh, we all do theology and theology is messy and it, it re- re- 
involves us being able to be okay with tensions of, um, you know, whichever way you, you land on the issue. If you are, you know, an affirming person and you realize that God calls us to all have community and to live in church and commitment to one another, there's a tension for you, you know, reaching over to the right. And if you're on the right and you have um, a, a conservative view of marriage and you realize God still wants you to be in community with people who disagree with you, you've got to be able to have tension to your left. And if we don't have tension, we don't have community. And if we don't have community, I think we're all in trouble. That's one of the things I love about Highland. I mean, it's, it, is, it makes it hard to lead as a church, but there's just, there is that. There is so much um, people who have learned how to live with each other well who disagree about lots of different stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I thought was the the most important moment in a podcast you've done in a long time was when Richard Beck talked about how the church's problem has been about human sexuality, specifically same sex stuff. When they called people to celibacy, they, then we abandoned them by our family centric language. How true is that? I mean, that, when he was talking, go ahead. I, I thought he was parodying you. Like, I felt like he's heard you say that. And, or maybe I've just heard you, you say the same thing so much, but you kind of jumped to my head because I'm like, yeah, that's a Jonathan point for sure. Because you're right. Like, you, if, if people are called to a lifestyle that leaves them isolated uh, and the church doesn't step in and give you community, then what are we doing? Seriously. So, yeah, I, so yeah that's important. It was. Church was good news for sexual minorities in the first century. You know, it was it was this legitimate community of the kingdom of God where you had a place um, and there was no other place like it. So I, I had the, I've had this idea for the last couple of years and I've told it to a, several different people and they everybody but one person hated it. Um, and it was it, in order to. I, I don't know if this it's a mistake to even say this here, but what if our married people in church fasted from sex to develop that kind of uh, affectional umbilical cord? You know, to stand in solidarity with. Does, I, I know it, it would be. It could be. Um, yeah. So you, you're going like the reverse. But, the re, the reverse Ed Young. Like where you could get a bed on top of your church yeah, and right, sleep right. there for a couple of days, but then you'd have like a bunch of pillows right in the middle or something. Uh, right, and because because and those kind of sermon series, man, they work great for for churches, and there's there's something to them. But the, the the poison pill in there is the assumption that the good life is only the married life, the family life, which which you, you know? can't read. Yeah, you can't read Paul and go. That's right. what. Paul would and, want them. And Paul is busy creating churches that would actually be good news for sexual minorities. Hmm. So, Well, I look forward to seeing you preach that sermon, and uh, yeah. I, uh, I look forward to hearing how that goes. Thanks. Thanks, man. So what comes next yeah, on the wel- podcast? You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. See, look at that. You did that so good. Yep. I'm, I'm a, a natural now. Jonathan, In the past, you, you. Uh, okay. you have had to hold up signs to get me to ask that question. And now I'm just like a trained yeah. monkey. Yeah. Just doing your bidding. Yep. Just 
You said it, not me. 200 in, and you got it now. Um, we've got uh, N.T. Wright, uh, like I said already. Uh, his new book is, uh, it's really good. Uh, to all the preachers, teachers out there, uh, this is a very preachable book that I know many of you will use for a series on, like, atonement or something. Uh, it, it, it's good. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that'll, that'll be the next one. Uh, Danielle Schroyer did one on uh, Original Sin, Original Blessing, a book talking about that. That was a good conversation. Um, I think we're going to have, uh, uh, I think Josh Graves and I are putting together like an Enneagram podcast. I'm going to be in Nashville uh, this weekend. And, uh, uh, and uh, a guy who's a Kierke- Soren Kierkegaard scholar. I think that one's going to be the end of this month. So we've got a couple that uh, are all lined up, ready to go. Cool. Well, dude, I can't wait to hear them. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.